Podcast for the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics, a secular voice in the valley. Hey everyone, today I thought you'd like to hear about two recent conferences that CVAS and its members have been a part of. Secular and skeptical conferences are fun events that we would all love to attend if only we had the time or the money. And for those of us who live and work in the California San Joaquin Valley, it can be just too expensive to go. Take The Amazing Meeting, an annual science and skepticism conference sponsored by the James Randi Educational Foundation. This costs about $800 to $1,000 for the conference lodging and travel. One of the largest secular events is the Reason Rally, which is actually free to attend, but it is held in Washington, D.C., over 2,300 miles away. Airfare alone is over $600 for a round trip. There are closer events to attend. The Orange County Freethought Alliance Conference was a very reasonable $50, but it is also a three- to six-hour drive from anywhere in the San Joaquin Valley. California Freethought Day is held in Sacramento in mid-October. Registration is free and is only about three hours away from Fresno. And don't forget CVAS's own Heretics Barbecue, which is held annually in late October right here in Fresno. You can learn more about this event from the CVAS website. Today, Sean and I are going to discuss two different recent conferences, the Reason Rally, and Skeptical. Skeptical is a science and skepticism conference held annually in Oakland, California. So let's get started. So I guess we should introduce ourselves. <laughs> uh, I'm Mark Boyd. I am the current president of CVAS and the co-founder. And uh, with me, I have Sean, who is one of our members. Hello. <laughs> um, Sean, how long have you been connected with CVAS? When did you first hear about us? Well, first heard about CVAS quite a long time ago, actually a couple of years uh, from my friend Ryan. And then uh, I actually didn't join myself until uh, early last year. I want to say April-ish of 2015. Okay. You're one of the people who were interested in doing the uh, podcast with us. Uh, we're using something called the Double Ender, where we both get to sit in the comfort of our own homes and <laughs> put together a podcast, um, which is how all the best podcasts are made these days. It's certainly nicer. So we're going to be um, starting a series of interviews in this podcast. I would like to start with uh, interviewing you because you recently went to the Reason Rally in Washington, D.C. And um, by the way, while you were there, you met up with um, Aaron Raw. Yes. Aaron Raw. Aaron, Aaron Raw, yeah. <laughs> yes, let me, let me do that correctly. I'm sorry, Aaron, if you're out there listening. Uh, you met up with Aaron Raw and introduced him to me, and he has agreed to be um, one of our guest speakers in 2017. Um, anyway, what was it like going there to Reason Rally? Your overall impressions? How'd you get there? What's Washington like? Uh, well, uh, as far as overall impressions, I thought it was actually pretty awesome. It was uh, very cool to be together 
with so many people. There's a good, I would estimate 6,000 people there that day, maybe less. And knowing that everyone there was secular or at least like-minded, I mean, they weren't necessarily atheists, but they were atheists, they were humanists, they were skeptics, or at least supportive. And that was pretty awesome. Not to mention the talks were great. I mean, I did actually meet a few other people I wanted to meet there as well, like Seth Andrews, the thinking atheist, David Smalley from Dogma Debate. I got to see Lawrence Krauss. I didn't get the chance to meet him, but I got to see him. I got to see John Lancey speak, uh, Bill Nye speak, so many other people. I actually met the scathing atheist as well. It was just, it was a lot of fun, as far as like the, the actual rally itself. Uh, I noticed some people online had mentioned that there weren't as many as the prior rally, but it was still a ton of people, and it was it was pretty awesome. Well, cool. Yeah, as for Washington itself, I actually love the city. I would love to move there if I could. <laughs> really enjoy Washington, D.C. I have a friend who lives there, so I was actually staying with a friend. I spent nine days there instead of just the Reason Rally myself. It's, it's a really cool city. Very, very fun. I definitely recommend everyone go there at least once. Well, it was in the middle of the summer. How hot was it there? Not that bad. It was only in the 80s for the most part. Like the day of the Reason Rally, I think, was the hottest day that I was there. And it was only the 80s. Humidity was relatively high. It's still nothing compared to 114 here. <laughs> I will take their heat over ours. Uh, that's nothing for us Fresnanites who are used to over 100 degree weather during the summer. <laughs> but do you think the weather might have stopped some of the uh, people from the north from, from going there? Uh, potentially. I'm not sure. I do know that, like, say, my, my roommate's friend is from Connecticut, and he was mentioning that for him it was very hot because it was, you know, again, mid-80s with relatively high humidity. So it definitely felt hotter than, than it was. It felt more like 90 almost. And so I could certainly see some people being deterred by that. I hope that wasn't the case. <laughs> but I could see some argument being made for that one. So the whole rally was um, from the 2nd to the 5th. Did you attend all of those days? I did not. I only I, The Friday pre-party, the Saturday rally itself, and the Saturday after-party were the only things I was able to attend. Um, Saturday was when all the major speakers were there. Yes. And I understand that we lost a couple speakers. Yeah, we uh, Johnny Depp bowed out early on, something with his family. He had to bow out. Of course... Uh, uh, I know Margaret Cho was supposed to be there. Oh, that's I forgot she was supposed to be there. Yeah, she, wasn't, she didn't make it. Hmm. I didn't hear why on that one. I actually forgot she was supposed to be there. Uh, Richard Dawkins had about because of his stroke earlier in the year. Right. I'm not sure who else is missing myself offhand. So, um, of the speakers that you heard, who'd you like the most? Hmm. Well, I'm a huge fan of Lawrence Krauss. I couldn't help but being somewhat biased towards Lawrence Krauss. However, I think John Delancey's speech was just awesome, simply because he just took a nice, humorous approach. He gave a speech speaking as if he were God, kind of playing off the cue his Q character from Star Trek a bit here and there, and it was very entertaining. I mean, it, it depends on what you go by, because some of the politicians, it was great to see them speak. All around, I mean, I think they were all, all were great. I did miss a couple in the middle uh, when we stepped out for lunch, but I got to see the ones I really wanted to see. So from the list of speakers, I, I can see that, you know, Richard Dawkins and uh, Margaret Cho and Johnny Depp didn't make it for various reasons. Um, did you get to see uh, Bill Nye, Pingelet, uh, Eugenie Scott? I definitely did see Bill Nye, Pingelet, um Eugenie Scott I might have missed. If, yeah, I must, if she was there, I must have been when I was stepped out. But I did see Bill Nye and, uh, and Pingelet. Also, I see James Randi spoke at the event, too. That's right. He was there with uh, Pendulet and introduced him. He spoke uh, briefly and then, uh, as well, right after Pendulet. We actually had breakfast with him here at, in Fresno, Sivas, um, oh goodness, uh, seven years ago now, I guess. 
I wish I'd been there. Um, it was pretty awesome. He kept us all entertained. What did uh, what was uh, Pinchalette's speech about? Uh, Pinchalette actually, one of the things he did instead of uh, doing a speech was he. Um, there was a a few months back, there was an Ecuador's has talent type show, something along those lines, where they had a singer come on, and she was known to be an atheist. And so she gave this great performance, and after the fact, the three judges, all three of them harped on her about being an atheist and how she couldn't possibly sing that well without believing in God, and et cetera, et cetera. So what Pendulette did is he brought her onto the stage with him, and they played a song together that he wrote. <laughs> that was actually the majority of his presentation. And that was pretty amazing. It was also great to see him do that. I mean, it's, Oh, that is pretty cool, and, yeah. and, it, and it helped her out a lot. Oh, yeah. I, I had no idea about that thing. Now I need to go back and watch the video. I still haven't had a chance. <laughs> Well, I actually saw that video, um, goodness, I guess um, uh, several weeks ago, and I saw them tearing into her for being an atheist. It was really heartbreaking to see. Yeah, he was. they were trying to get the video to show at the at the um, rally, but there was technical difficulties and they weren't able to beforehand. But Speaking of technical difficulties, I saw that they had um, several different uh, difficulties. They didn't have the um, audience that they had hoped to have this year, the attendance that they had hoped to have that they've had in the past. And I've seen several reasons why um, Himet Manta, goodness, and I know I I know I've just messed up his name. Or Meta, I think, yeah. But <laughs> Meta, Meta, I yeah. Think I'm not sure, but yeah, the friendly atheist. <laughs> yes, the friendly atheist. Um, he mentioned that it was probably because of lack of advertising and some uh, political issues that have been going on. Yeah, there were some issues behind the scenes, and the, so they only had six months to do the final prep and. Might very well have played a role in it. Did you see anything um, from your end there that might have uh, addressed this? Um, not that I could tell. I actually didn't know about that until after the fact. Right? Well, actually, from him at Meta is how I found out about that. I didn't realize. In fact, I, since I had not gone to the prior year, nor had I seen much about the prior year, I didn't even realize it was less fewer people. <laughs> I was kind of surprised to hear that. Because um, I thought it was still a lot. I mean, it was still a good 6,000, probably, give or take. Which to me seemed like a large, large group. Well, um, when you consider the kind of uh, groups that we get here in the Central Valley, you know, we're <laughs> we're lucky. We're lucky to get a couple hundred to show up. I would be, yeah, fairly surprised at that. <laughs> um, yeah, here in Fresno, we're lucky to get um, a single hundred to show up. <laughs> um, however, um, that perhaps might be changing for us. And 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 there's a lot of uh, exciting news coming up for um, CVAS here in Fresno. And I'll get into that in a, um, the next podcast. So if you're listening, look for the next one. So you really liked Lawrence Krauss. What did he speak about? Uh, let's see. Uh, I know we talked about... Oh, shoot. That's where I should have taken more notes. <laughs> I think I was just I was too starstruck. You know, I'm, I'm a, I have a background in physics and mathematics, so I'm like, oh, physicist, amazing, you know. <laughs> and I have his books, and uh, yeah, he pulled off a variation off of uh, Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Uh, but then he's just talking about, like, you know, essentially positive about for science, for critical thinking, for atheism. Mm. I actually tried, I actually brought a, one of the books with me to try to get him to sign it, but. Except one time I saw him out and about, he was like swarmed with people. <laughs> so I I didn't bug him. <laughs> well, you know, Grouse is pretty popular. I did get Seth Andrews to sign my book. <laughs> did you have a, a book written by Seth Andrews that you Yeah, I had a I brought Sacred Cows with me and had him sign it. Oh, okay. So um I also see that Cara Santa Maria was there. She's one of the new, um, new uh, members of uh, what do they call themselves? Yes. Skeptics Guide to the Universe. Yeah, one of the new rogues. One of the new rogues, exactly. And she also has her own show, uh, Talk Nerdy to Me, I believe. I think so. Yeah, I haven't actually heard her on her personal show, but I have heard her on uh, Skeptics Guide. 
Yeah, I've heard her on both. Um, she's she's really good. What really struck you the most about the Reason Rally? Honestly, the thing I enjoyed the most was just the fact that I was walking, like, my friend and I walked through the crowd multiple times, and just to see all the people with all the interesting shirts and signs, and it was just, it was a real bit of solidarity mm. that I had never experienced. I mean, here in Fresno, we're not exactly a majority. <laughs> not that we're a majority anywhere, but we seem to be more of a minority. Yeah, and that's that's... That's fair to say. Um, I would say, though, that we're not as much of a minority as you might think in Fresno. True. We're also not the South, which is nice. Right. Um, it does get a little bit worse whenever you go south of Fresno. So, um, I heard that the religious people weren't able to uh, <laughs> get in and protest as much as they had in the past. Uh, no, there, evidently there was a uh, D.C. regulation where they would have had to have filed certain paperwork to have a counter-protest. And they were banned from, banned to protest from the actual area where the rally was going on. Uh, in fact, I wasn't there for this, but I have seen other people post and watch some videos where the police or whomever happened to be, you know, the uh, various security officials were actually removing people from, from the rally before it started, politely, asked them to leave and to step away from the area. Uh, we did still have protesters on the outside, and as you, if you walked into or out of the area, you could definitely hear them and, and see them. Uh, we even had Ray Comfort out there, though well, I did not see him. Yeah, I read about what happened with Ray Comfort. Um, he had apparently brought $25,000 worth of gift cards to Subway, and he was going to go around and hand them out to atheists. Hmm. Unfortunately for him, he was not allowed to do this, and he had to find something else to do with all those uh, gift cards. So... Um, any speakers that you really remember their speeches and were really um, hmm. interested in them? <laughs> I was very pleased, at least, to, to hear the politicians that were there. We had, we had a few representatives, one from D.C., I think one from Hawaii, one from Maryland. Um, at least, well, I want to say the one from Hawaii actually is an atheist and out about it. So it was very positive, even just to hear them talking in general, because they were usually speaking about the fact that they are atheists or that they are supportive or... Like the one in D.C. mentioned quite a bit about the fact that you know D.C. is not a state, and so D.C. Is always has to go through the Congress to get any sort of regulation passed, and kind of talking that how that's a problem and can certainly cause an issue, especially when you have non-supportive congressmen and women. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not just Pete Stark anymore. I believe Pete Stark isn't a, a member of Congress anymore now. Yeah. But... Apparently, there's uh, quite a few members who are um, atheists or, or nuns who don't really speak up about it. Understandably so. It's, it's sadly still a taboo and could mean uh, difficult chances at re-election. On uh, Sunday, May 15th, I attended the SkeptiCal conference in Oakland. Um, it was held at the Oakland Asian Cultural Center. And it wasn't just me, either. Um, this was something that CFAS did as an official event. We were invited by Eugenie Scott to host a table there. And we were one of 14 tables that um, actually got to host there. So um, the speakers at the uh, Skeptical included uh, Steve Silverman, who spoke about the history of autism, Jeff Sheehy, who 
is a biologist who spoke about uh, CRISPR. Actually, I don't know what. Oh, I wish I, I'm so sad I missed that. Actually, that CRISPR technology is awesome. His talk about um, the promise and perils of gene editing was really pretty cool. And he said something that I didn't realize. You remember Bubble Babies from the 80s and 90s? Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading a little about that, yeah. Yeah, there was that one kid that was stuck in a bubble for, you know, years and years and years. Yeah. yeah. What happened to those? They dis- well, disappeared from uh, media attention. Um, this is called uh, severe combined immunodeficiency. So what doctors currently do is a bone marrow transplant either in utero or within a baby's first three months of life, which is pretty successful. But in the last couple of decades, gene therapy has been another possible treatment where the genes are actually edited and reinserted back into the patient. Oh, really? Yes. Um, uh, the gene editing techniques uh, allowed them to edit some of the um, genes in their bone marrow, I guess, and reintroduce it so that they could create white blood cells. And then re- basically reinvigorate their or well, invigorate because they didn't have it to begin with their immune system. Yes, exactly. So it's interesting that we already have these types of methods. Um, So they're also looking at perhaps we can, in ways, edit genes so that uh, a genetic disease that's in a family just goes away. Dies away, won't be passed on to the next generation. Right. And I'm not a biologist, so I know I'm using the terms incorrectly, but... (laughs) I'm physics and math. I'm not any better. Yeah, electronic engineer. I can't help you with biology. It goes squish, and I'm not very good at taking it apart. Um, But what they were talking about is that there's uh, two different things that you can do. One is where you edit the genes in a living person's body, and then there's the other where you edit their germline um, so that when they pass this down, it's passed down to their, their children. Oh, yeah, okay. So you can actually edit the genes like with bubble babies in a way that... Um, allows them to have uh, an immune system again, but that may not get passed down unless you actually edit their germline too, and that's something that isn't really being done right now. Hmm. Which is, you know, kind of too bad because in my family there's lots of things that I'd love to see go away, like, <laughs> you know, glasses and stuff like that. Yeah. I Likewise, I have a, a degenerative uh, back, a degenerative spine. Two of my discs are... I was born that way, and I would hate if I pass that on. <laughs> yeah. It's not been fun. Yeah, so um, the the problem, though, is that there's a, a darker side to this. Designer babies. Uh, yeah, let's say designer babies is where that's going to go, because it's like, oh, well, then you can just you know make your own kid. It's like, well, I guess. <laughs> it, it's the whole Gattaca thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, there are um, some calls from scientists to um, halt using CRISPR. Um, They want to put a moratorium on it. Um, And he was talking about all of this. One of the things that he really mentioned that I thought was just absolutely fascinating was biological garage hackers. Hmm. You know, um, and apparently there are kits that you can buy for not very much money that can set you up with the basics of gene editing in your kitchen. Wow. Um, It's not a CRISPR, but it does allow you to do quite a lot of stuff. I had been reading, um, oh goodness, last year, I guess, uh, I was reading about a young woman who, in her kitchen, added a protein um, that 
causes um, cells to glow in the dark Mm -hmm. from a type of jellyfish, she added this to um, yogurt. And um, in doing so, she created a biological device that would detect some sort of chemical in um, foods. You could mix food in with this yogurt, and if it had this uh, bad chemical, it would glow. I see, yeah. Then it would cause a reaction form and start initiating the glowing. That's an interesting use for it. Right, and it made it so that you know you could use something very cheap to check for this chemical instead of having to send it out for spectral analysis or something. But um, the yogurt that she got, she just walked down to the local supermarket and bought a quart of yogurt, and that was her culture. And the jellyfish gene, apparently she ordered off for it and had it sent to her and was able to sit down in her kitchen and put it all together. (laughs) So I had brought up to Jeff Shee in the question and answer session, what are scientists thinking about the possibility of garage hackers creating their own viruses or major changes to the human genome? And he said that uh, there really is nothing that stops that. We really don't have anything in the way for that. It's something that people are talking about, but as the technology gets stronger, uh, uh, gets easier to use, um, it's just going to become a danger. Um, He suggested that perhaps everyone will just be able to watch their own genome, much in the same way that we all watch our own computers. To watch our own credit and... (laughs) Even our credit scores and everything. You know, that's a, a good way of looking at it. I didn't think about it as credit. I was thinking of it, you know, like being careful with your computer, making sure you run antivirus software and that sort yeah. of thing. But, um, yeah, credits... Because uh, it's, it's always kind of in the background. You don't have to be as active about it, but you certainly want to check it periodically and make sure you're not... Uh, <laughs> no one's come in and stolen your identity, or in this case, throwing in some genes you're not supposed to have. <laughs> right, right. So, and what would you do if you looked at it and you saw something that wasn't there the last time you checked? That's a good question. We'd have to have some sort of protocol or something, some way of, I guess, well, it depends on how good the technology is. I guess if you have a full sequence of your own genome, you might be able to extract it. But the problem is, again, I'm not a biologist, but I know there are issues with the genes not being the same with every cell, too. I've always kind of wondered about that, about mapping your genome. I was like, well, you're mapping a particular portion of it, but especially like when it comes to neurons, there's high degrees of uh, variability in the actual DNA strain inside each neuron. No, I didn't realize that. Um, it is that variable? Uh, I forget the percentage uh, effect. Here we are, a couple of people who know nothing about biology. Yeah, I know, trying to speculate about it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible idea. But <laughs> Yeah, we can fix everything. We just don't know what we're doing. Oh, you know what? It's um, I think it was a CPG Gray video, YouTube video that I was watching that was talking about that. Uh... Well, um, I'm going to... Uh move on to the the one that fascinated me was uh carolyn porco and i'm not sure did she make it to the reason rally uh um yet yeah, yeah she was there yeah actually i do remember her uh-huh i i, I remember her being there uh because i know i remember her she was announced as being a, a member on the team for cassini project and uh i did hear that talk um i took notes um <laughs> something i should have done I took notes of the talk she gave at the Reason Rally, and the first thing is is that she had slides from the Cassini mission, and all of the, the images that she showed us are available on the NASA website somewhere. The NASA website is pretty huge, but uh, I'm sure if you looked for the Cassini mes- mission, you could find it. And these 
images were just absolutely stunning. They showed all of the rings. They showed that there are a lot of objects sitting in the rings of Saturn. Oh, yes. That uh, we can't see, you know, from here, or we can't see very well from here. One of the things I didn't realize is that the Cassini mission, it didn't just whiz past Saturn. It got there and it made multiple orbit changes around Saturn to get different angles and views and stuff like that. (laughs) And one of the uh, results from that was that Carolyn Porco and I guess a couple others petitioned NASA to recreate Carl Sagan's pale blue dot image. I do remember that we were actually, yeah, they even told the public, announced to the public at this day, at this time, you know, wave because you're on camera. That's right. And she showed that um, it's taken from the other side of Saturn. You are peeking through the rings at Earth. Mm-hmm. If you were to throw it up on a screen, you know, just all of Saturn, you can't see the Earth. It's less than a speck. <laughs> and you have to zoom in. And of course, the cameras that they used are very high detailed. And it's still just a pale blue dot, just a dot on the screen. <laughs> it certainly put things into perspective. I mean, we, compared to the scale of even our own solar system, we are extremely insignificant. And our solar system is insignificant itself amongst the galaxy, and our galaxy is insignificant amongst the, the greater cluster we're in, et cetera, et cetera. And <laughs> this universe is ginormous. Anyway, so her talks were about uh, how the seven-year Cassini mission and the probe that went with it um, traveled around Saturn. We got to see a lot of close-up images of the moons of Saturn and of the rings, and it was very interesting to see just how <laughs> detailed it looked. That really is amazing. That's, uh, <laughs> I absolutely love that. Especially those images are just so stunning. Um, other people from the Skeptical conference in Oakland included, uh, and I'm going to mess up her name, I'm sorry, Indre Viscontas. Viscontas, yes. Indre Viscontas. She talked about brain myths, lessons from neuroscience. Um, this was a very fast and fun lecture. It was uh, aimed at the layperson. The uh, saddest thing that I heard in that lecture was that your brain kind of reaches a peak fairly early in your life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it starts to decline, mostly. But there were a few areas where it actually um, stayed the same or got better. Hmm. Um, these were areas of judgment. But um, other areas, you know, like uh, reaction and being able to put together new concepts, it, it continued to decline some. And the only way you could stop it was um, by being lucky enough to have really good genetics and by keeping up with uh, physical exercise and by exercising your brain by learning new things as often as possible. I've certainly heard that many times before. I mean, it's, it's nice to know there's some truth to that one, at least. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to um, learn new things as often as possible. I'm not doing so good on the physical exercise, <laughs> although I'm doing better than I had last year. Uh, I'm not doing as well as I'd like. I'm doing okay, I guess, but... Well, you know, it's something we all have to work at. <laughs> Get a lot of walking in. <laughs> a lot of and hikes every once in a while, but... Um, she went through and uh, talked about, you know, the modern myths. Does drinking kill brain cells? Do we only use 10% of our brain? Oh, uh, um, uh, 
Ten uh, percent one always annoys me. Yes, doesn't it? You know, because that one is that one has been debunked very so prevalent. often. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she went through it and talked about uh, how puzzles might um, allow you to stay healthy, but brain training really doesn't work. I've heard that before. Yeah, that the brain, all those brain training schemes, just really don't help you in the end. Well, they're not necessarily bad, but they don't improve anything. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, um, like if you're doing Sudoku puzzles, basically what happens is you get really good at doing Sudoku puzzles, but it doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't translate well into how well you can play chess. However, things that use strategy do translate well to other things that use strategy. So, you know, if you learn to play chess, mm -hmm. you can use the strategic thinking that you get from that and that gives you a little bit of a boost in other areas of strategic thinking which makes sense but you know if you're just playing a video game you get really good at playing a video game but it <laughs> it doesn't really help you anywhere else unless that video game is also puzzle solving and you know stuff like that <laughs> i mean all those hours i've wasted on games that didn't help you <laughs> <laughs> but i played so many <laughs> uh, i hear you i hear you um let's see the um Next person was uh, Deborah Berliner, and she spoke about um, a very California-centric issue, vaccinating every California child. Hmm. Um, she spoke about the, uh, the recently enacted legislation, uh, which is SB 277 here in California. That is awesome. Wasn't that? Yeah, that's the one that makes <laughs> that's the one that makes uh, school vaccinations um, mandatory. Yeah, yeah, almost mandatory. It's the strictest in the nation. Yeah. No more religious exemption, no more... Uh... Yeah, no more personal belief. There is uh, medical exemptions, and I believe there was a some sort of a loophole that um, some people could do, but I don't recall exactly what it was. Hmm. This was more about uh, politics. She really didn't get into the efficiency or the value of uh, vaccines. She did touch briefly on the facts of vaccines, you know, like the failed ideas that vaccines are filled with toxins <laughs> or or live viruses i mean there's very few that we actually use in fact we pretty well phase those out right there are no live virus vaccines right anymore. right <laughs> or um mercury oh <laughs> you know the the whole mercury thing was a huge oh. huge issue and whenever we got rid of mercury from vaccines and autism rates made no change whatsoever in fact they may have increased a little bit due to um better diagnoses yeah because that's been the only reason why the autism rates have gone up is will we diagnose it more often now <laughs> right we just we're aware of it that's all uh which goes back to the first speaker too who talked about autism history and how we're becoming more and more aware of it so she went through a lot of stuff about the politics of uh sb 277 she spoke again very briefly on the actual way that vaccines work and she touched briefly on things like herd immunity that sort of thing mm -hmm. after that our last speaker of the day was uh, henry gilbert and he spoke about homo erectus um, and he talked about the transitional form between things like uh, australopithecus and uh, neanderthals um, Henry Gilbert's lecture was really extremely informationally dense. He uh, pointed out paleontologists had been faked out in the past, finding fake fossils that were a linked in humanity, and he pointed out that this was something that paleontologists really need to be careful about. 
especially with uh, the modern problem of counterfeit fossils. Oh, all the uh, like imposters and the the faux. Uh... <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of problems with paleontology here, and he was very good at pointing out that science does correct for these problems. But these are something that we need to uh, be aware of uh, at the individual level, too, so that we don't get tricked in this fashion. Mm -hmm. So Skeptical also had two other people, um, one on their agenda and one not. Um, The first one that was on their agenda at the end of the show was Ryan Kane. He's a uh, magician, um, sleight-of-hand artist. And Ryan, um, he was okay... Um, a lot of the stuff that he did, I've seen before, um, but it might be, you know, I'm just kind of jaded. <laughs> I've seen Penn and Teller at Vegas, and, you know, now what am I going to do? Am I going to expect Penn and Teller quality? Um, the one speaker that uh, we got wasn't a speaker. Um, this guy's name is Joey Fabian, mm-hmm. and he's a San Francisco musician and producer. Um, he's a very accomplished bassist and uh, vocalist, so he plays a bass, uh, electric bass guitar. And I was very sad about um, how he was treated at Skeptical. I don't think Skeptical did him right. Whenever everyone broke for lunch, I stayed behind to watch our table, and in came Joey, and he got up on the stage and set up his equipment and got his guitar tuned up, um, and he kind of, you know, wandered over to me, you know, off the stage and like, where is everyone? Well, they all went for lunch. I said, well, you know, that sucks because I'm supposed to play. Huh. He was extremely professional. Hmm. He just took it in stride. He got up on the stage and he played his set to an audience of four people. Wow. He's an atheist. And um, the very first song he played was his take on Gershwin's It Ain't Necessarily So. Hmm. It was just absolutely excellent that sounds awesome yeah well that's not the awesome part afterwards i spoke to him and i said i would really like to have him do music for our podcast oh wow and i would love to have ain't necessarily so (laughs) and he said he would do it awesome so i don't know if it's going to show up on this podcast or not but it will show up soon and um, we will have that as our intro and outro for our podcasts that's not the greatest part. The greatest part is is that he has agreed to be our musical entertainer for the Heretics Barbecue 2017. Nice. So um, that's um, worked out pretty well for us, too. <laughs> well, Oakland's loss. It, it is Oakland's loss. It was, it was really too bad. Like I said, he was extremely professional. He went ahead and he played his set, and he did it well. He put his heart into it. Um, Joey is an excellent artist, and um, as soon as you guys hear him, you're going to love him. Um, And, you know, I'm going to do a shameless plug for him. (laughs) You can find his work, Joey Fabian, on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and look him up. All right. I think we're going to go ahead and end it here, Sean. All right. (laughs) Um, Uh, Jeez, how are we going to end this thing? That's a good question. So, I guess what we need to say is goodbye, Sean. Goodbye, and... uh... I hope to uh, hope we continue this. Or well, let's not <laughs> let's not continue that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe I'll just have a a, a bunch of flubs at the end. Yeah, <laughs> because this is just terrible. We need to we need to get better at this. 
Sadly, yes. How do you, how do how do people do this? I know they. Uh, well, anyway. So if you're listening in on this very painful podcast, you have my commiserations. So thank you for listening to us, and we hope to see you again next time. All right. Check back for us online. Have a good evening. Thank you much. Okay, I'm going to stop recording right now. Seven live clean Don't have no faults Now I take stick gospels when This podcast is supported by the Central Valley Alliance of Atheists and Skeptics. You can find more podcasts and other media, learn about our organization, and check upcoming calendar events from our website at cvaas.org. Send feedback to info at cvaas.org. Cause I live in when no gal gon' give in to no man was nigh. Hey, this is Jonathan Colton, and you're listening to a podcast released under a Creative Commons license. CC, baby. Check it out. Preaching the sermon to show It ain't as I ain't as I ain't as I ain't as I ain't necessarily so.